Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. We're on the fifth yama, mm -hmm. or the fifth precept which is aparigraha, which usually gets translated as non-greed. Mm -hmm. I often translate it as um, either non-acquisitiveness mm -hmm. or just generosity and non-possessiveness. Um, one of the things that's been interesting translating these terms is whether you take the negative side, mm -hmm. the more negative. literal side, no. Uh-huh. Like, Mm -hmm. non-greed or, or you flip it and you take the positive side and you really look at generosity so the thing I liked about translating it as non-possessiveness is mm -hmm. it seems to land between both because there's something powerful about looking at your life at your inner world and also your attachments in the outer world in terms of not being possessive mm. so I thought we could just start with this term non-possessiveness and the reason why I wanted to interview you in particular mm -hmm. is because you have a yoga practice, a long-time Buddhist practice, mm -hmm. and also you're a psychotherapist and um, a friend. And so I just thought, and you're one of the smartest people I know. <laughs> so I thought it might be nice to just kind of look at this particular precept from a more psychological perspective hmm. than some of the other precepts we've looked at. So maybe we could start just by seeing what comes up around possessiveness, mm -hmm. what, what you think that means, what does it mean in a psychological sense, what does it look like uh, with people, how could we recognize mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I, the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about possessiveness um, when I think about what it looks like mm -hmm. in in people, is um, grasping and for control. Uh -huh. So tightening around any particular situation mm -hmm. um, with the idea that there is a result that can come out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the places that I see this in particular is really around anything to do with grief. Hmm. So, um, meaning that a person doesn't necessarily look at it as an issue mm -hmm. about grief, but that um, when there is some kind of loss, mm -hmm. that, uh, that put grasping and possessiveness and, and trying to control a situation is a response from it. Mm -hmm. Do you mean loss in the sense that 
they're losing an object or a person, or do you mean also kind of there's sometimes a kind of just basic underlying feeling that something's missing, right? To, yeah, like something's been lost. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I think what what first was coming to mind was that that usually there are there is some kind of loss or events that happen, and that might be a place where somebody gets particularly sticky or stuck or tight and controlled in their lives. Mm -hmm. But I also would say that in terms of finding this kind of quality of under underlying um, missing missingness um, would contribute to, to it too. Mm -hmm. And I think where I see that um, a lot is just in our relationship to time. Mm -hmm. um, and and to events and, and wanting to see events unfold in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the something about the fixed attitude um, around outcomes mm. um, is what's coming to So me. if I can act in a certain way now that's controlled, then I could possibly control the outcome. So for example, if I really work on a certain kind of persona, Mm -hmm. then I could control how people perceive me. Mm -hmm. And in that way, the possessiveness would be um, uh, trying to control my, people's perception of me. And then what would the grief be? What would the loss be? What would I be covering, covering up? Um, well, I mean, a, gr a grief is really that we can't, that we're not in charge. Right. And that we've had the experience over and over again of things slipping through our fingers. Mm -hmm. um, either, you know, the acknowledgement that we should have had, mm -hmm. um, the comfort and connection we ought to have had, like mm -hmm. all the things that we imagine through our story of mm -hmm. ourselves and also through watching others that we ought to have received or we ought to have experienced. Mm -hmm. So as those slip away, as those experiences um, don't end up panning out, mm -hmm. uh, then we have a grief and we have a lack, which hmm. we would move to cover up. Hmm. It's, it, it, one of the things I think about when you say that is just, it's interesting in the yoga and Buddhist traditions how much focus there is on impermanence. How, like if we really want to look at finding some ground, we really need to embrace impermanence. Mm -hmm. And it seems like possessiveness is kind of like the enemy of impermanence. Like, yeah, or it, it's some kind of a, a response to impermanence yeah. that makes us feel like it's okay. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, for some, the main thing that's coming up for me is actually, I'm thinking about the bodies of the, of Tightening mm -hmm. and of and of um, you know just trying to create a life that's within a particular kind of track mm -hmm. and um, and that when when you're living in that particular way everything is a threat mm -hmm. to you know to to your kind of particular way of holding yourself and, and holding towards a particular outcome. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of pain, mm -hmm. um, which I think then just further perpetuates, and this is the kind of samsaric story, which per perpetuates 
the need to hold on. Mm -hmm. Because then when I, when I am holding so tightly mm -hmm. and then I have the experience that it's not working, mm -hmm. I hold tighter mm -hmm. instead of uh, what it means to, to let go, mm -hmm. you know, and to, have, and to have looser. And I think that, um, you know, I guess one of the ways that this comes up for me a lot and when I think about it in yoga is that I do think people need to have the experience of being held and, mm -hmm. and of being able to um, have space, mm -hmm. you know, just like we talk about with breathing, you know. Mm -hmm. when, we, when we tighten, we shorten our breath, mm -hmm. and when we shorten our breath, we get more rigid in our structure mm -hmm. and we're more mm -hmm. easy to topple, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. just in, in kind of like expanding that base, you know, if we, ha if we had the experience of more breathing room, we could actually move through Mm -hmm. loss and impermanence, you know, mm -hmm. which I think is what the cycle of the breath ultimately is, is mm -hmm. like a constant kind of modulating between, um, you know, something coming forward and, 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 and becoming exciting and something that we can relax mm -hmm. and release with. Mm -hmm. So I think that our breath is a perfect example of being with impermanence. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that w we fear the bottoming out and the mm -hmm. and the letting go and the and the what I would call being held, would, mm -hmm. you know, being being able to exhale is in a sense being able to be held in the emptying mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. I like that way of thinking about the end of the exhale, not so much as surrender, which sometimes just seems too mm -hmm. big, you know, for people, but more a sense of you know you're you're held in something much bigger than what the narrow ego is trying to right. package. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that something could come through. So that, you mm -hmm. know, so that in, in, in those moments of perhaps being held or of letting go, mm -hmm. um, th there's a freshness that mm -hmm. can allow something other than the, uh, you know, the track, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the possession, the possessiveness. Mm -hmm. So it seems like addiction mm -hmm. is just one more step in degree in that kind of path of possessiveness. You know, when you talk about tightening up, when you talk about contracting, when you talk about defending against change, defending mm -hmm. against impermanence, when you talk about a response to grief or loss. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about addiction and mm -hmm. how it might be related mm -hmm. if it's related to, to possessiveness because it sounds like if you keep going down the road of describing degrees of possessiveness you get um, addiction right um, or obsessiveness <clears throat> yeah. yeah obsessiveness and addiction yeah they're kind of I think they share some things um, I mean what comes to mind for me is that within addiction that there's a a misunderstanding of, um, well, first there's a misunderstanding of needs, mm -hmm. and there's a misunderstanding of richness, of mm -hmm. abundance, mm -hmm. of generosity, mm -hmm. a kind of confusion around that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, one of the things in addiction is that we, we grasp, we go for something that looks appealing, mm -hmm. but there's no observation of limits. Uh-huh. And so, rather than understanding and having the experience of satisfaction, mm -hmm. which 
demands digestion of mm -hmm. whatever it is we take in. Mm -hmm. We have the experience of a mini relief, mm -hmm. some form of, of relief that usually has a kind of quickness to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, whatever bottoming out experience I'm having, what emotion I'm experiencing or whatever lack I'm experiencing, I then get out of it uh -huh. really quickly uh -huh. in the act of whatever my addiction is to, whether that be the internet or, mm -hmm. um, or a drug of some kind. Um, and so, you know, one of the things is that it tends to work in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it, it does tend to give some amount of relief from, mm -hmm. we could say, you know, this perpetual mm -hmm. um, impermanence mm -hmm. that, that, that we're experiencing. But more and more, it really just feeds that that gap, that mm -hmm. that emptiness. Um, maybe not the best word to use, but longing, mm -hmm. longing, and uh, and and so I think people can't actually taste their experience, can't actually absorb whatever it is that they're taking in, mm -hmm. and so the you know it, it's. It's like, I mean, when you consider overeating, mm -hmm. you know. Eating the food, not tasting it. Eating yeah. the food, not know your, not knowing your limits. Or the, the opposite, I guess, is true too, right? Is controlling how much you eat. So okay. not kind of excessive eating, but the opposite also. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like not eating enough mm -hmm. also is a kind of possessiveness too. Yes, yeah, yeah. And again, I think there's something, I mean, there's we might see more of the aggressiveness there where on the other side we, we tend mm -hmm. to focus on the um, giving in, right. right? So one is kind of more that I give oh, in yeah, yeah. and the other seems to be more I, I withhold. Uh -huh. But in both there's a confusion about appetite, uh -huh. a confusion about need. Yeah. And so, I, you know, there's something that's being overridden mm -hmm. um, which is a, is a limit, because yeah. obviously we have, there has to be some kind of feedback yeah. um, in ourselves. And when it's not in ourselves, I think where it ends up coming up is in our, our environment. So mm -hmm. in our relationship to others and in um, our, you know, basically in resources kind of running out or being scarce in mm -hmm. any kind of way. Maybe that's how we find out when mm -hmm. we're not, we don't have a, a sensate experience of limits. Mm -hmm. hmm. there, there's a child psychologist you might be familiar with, Adam Phillips, mm -hmm. and he wrote a paper called Enough is Enough, which is about excess and possessiveness. Mm. And I came across this one, I'll just read it to you, and I found really interesting. Um, when young people are being excessive, they are unconsciously, without realizing it, trying to find strong containing parents. Mm. Unruly adolescents, for example, can be thought of as needing to find out just how reliable, just how robust and impressive the authorities really are. Mm. Children are only as powerful as their parents let them be, and there's nothing the child is more frightened of than being too powerful. <laughs> so, he seems to be saying here that uh, when we're excessive, really deep down in our heart of hearts, or unconsciously, he, he's saying, mm -hmm. 
really we're trying to find a boundary. We're trying to find a limit. We're trying to find, as, or as you said, something to contain us. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting way of thinking about excess as actually really wanting or craving a limit that for some reason hasn't been internalized or isn't in your own structure. Right, yeah. yeah. Am I alone here? Mm -hmm. Am I... Um, what is this world? I mean, when I say, am I alone yeah. here, on the one hand, it's like, is there anyone responsive yeah. to me? Yeah. But then also, you know, is there a world there? And what uh -huh. is this world? And yeah. how do I come into relationship yeah. with it? Mm. Yeah, I, I think it keep, it, it's bringing me back again to the, to the idea of, you know, that we, we want to be in relationship. Mm -hmm. And that when there's a feeling of gap or non-responsiveness, mm -hmm. um, perhaps we don't know our boundaries. I mean, when mm -hmm. I think about kids, especially when I think about teenagers and like binge drinking, mm -hmm. you know, there's that idea of I need to know mm -hmm. what uh, what my power is. Yeah. I need to know what I can what's what I limit? can do. What's yeah. what's my limit? Yeah. And you know, just because I heard so and so say yeah. that this is what it is, yeah. you know, what, what is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Mm. The, the, somebody came to, uh, there's a new person who's been practicing uh, at Center of Gravity lately. He's so wonderful and he really broke down at the end of sitting this past week one day and he said to me, you know, I, I came to sit because I wanted some peace and I didn't realize how wounded I was. Mm. And I, I just thought it was so courageous for him to say it and to acknowledge it. He's only known me for one month. But this notion that I didn't know how wound, wounded I was. And, and in a way, so many people are drawn to meditation practice because it promises a kind of transcendence. Mm. And yet at the same time, I think uh, a lot of us start meditating and then we realize that what's there are really a lot of old wounds where uh, there are places in us we don't know how to give, how to find space in. Like you talked earlier about breathing space. Mm -hmm. So there are places, as Pema Children says, that scare us. And usually there are places we can't find breathing space. So we respond by contracting, quitting, getting an idea about practice, whether we like it or not. So I was wondering if you could just talk about possessiveness and like what it actually looks like with people. They come to see you as a teacher, they come to see you as a therapist. What, what do you see? Like what does it feel like to be in the room? Mm -hmm. what, what, what kind of signs mm -hmm. do you, mm -hmm. how, how do you see possessiveness taking place in the moment in your relationship with right. them? One of the places that um, that I tend to see this, or the way that I frame it, a lot of times has to do with a person's ability to receive support. Hmm. A person's ability to receive. Mm -hmm. that's, that's usually the measure by which um, I go by. And I don't often mm. think about it. You, it's like what, what we were talking about earlier, about whether we look at this question from the, uh, sort of from the negative or uh -huh. from the positive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, grasping or generosity. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I tend to see I tend to see what is somebody's ability to receive support, mm. and um, by that that a lot of times what that means is the way a person is working 
-hmm. They're working on the problem. They're working on themselves. They're working in such a way that they maybe desperately want help, uh -huh. but they're not available to receive uh -huh. it. Uh -huh. um, and sometimes that might be because of the desperation. Mm -hmm. It creates a kind of busyness. Mm -hmm. um, and this, in a lot of ways, has to do with how when we're finding difficulties with ourselves, we may rely, rely heavily on ourselves to figure it out. Right. And in that figuring out, um, kind of create even more of a... I can do this alone. Yeah. I don't need you. Yeah. Which, which in itself is is a way of you know, of staying away from the pain of. <clears throat> you may not help me mm -hmm. if I ask you. Right. So if I ask you, I have to be open to. Yeah. It not working out, and I think yeah. meditation is similar yeah. in that way. Mm -hmm. Is that is that if we are you know again if we're sort of on the agenda of fixing it, mm -hmm. it's too tight for the yeah. situation. Yeah. But there is something of showing up. To um, to just feel mm -hmm. what is not getting met, mm -hmm. and that's the kind of that's you know that's harder to teach, right? That's something yeah. that that in a sense somebody's um, how uh, flexible uh -huh. um, a person is or their mind is. Mm -hmm. How how often have they had experiences of um, of losing and it not being a failure. Yeah, like, like maybe the last time I asked for help, the person abandoned me, or they failed, or um, I was always told not to ask for help. Right. Or, um, you know, if I ask for help, I, I'm not strong. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's interesting because I, I think the kind of people who are called to meditation practice, it's, you know, one of the things I noticed very much just having spent time in Thailand was that there's no practices that happen independent of very strong community. Mm -hmm. So some people, that, you know, they may practice for years just building or gardening before they're ever introduced to meditation practice. Mm. But I notice here meditation is much more solitary. You know, like most people are, you know, I'm going to become a Buddhist practitioner not because I'm interested in community, mm -hmm. but because I want to be able to sit facing a wall and really go deep, you know, in solo meditation. And um, I wonder though, sometimes all that working hard on oneself can also be a bit of a defense, a resistance against a kind of healing that might need to happen relationally. Mm -hmm. Which gets back to what you're saying about, you know, I'm working hard on myself, I'm improving myself, but maybe like completely missing this other side. Yeah. Of really just also needing just love that comes from another human or support that can Belonging. come just from community. Right. Belonging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that there is... Um, there is a way in which stamina is, a, is I, I think a lot of people take up meditation with a sense of, of mm -hmm. stamina. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and you hear the people who are sort of like, oh, I, I couldn't hack that, I couldn't take the pain, yeah. right? And then others who are like yeah. going for it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's, there has to be some kind of trust in 
the community or the people around in order to open up yeah. to what is being experienced. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, and it, it really is kind of about being in a teaching sort of mode uh -huh. where, you know, most of our education system is still very much based on having the right mm -hmm. answer, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and having the right answer in meditation mm -hmm. is dangerous, yeah. right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't lead us to what, what is actually going on for us. Uh -huh. So I think people have a tendency to suffer alone mm -hmm. um, rather than reaching out where it's important. I mean, we see acquisitiveness in learning and techniques, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's, I think it's more on the, um, in the realm of actually being able to take in. Mm -hmm. to, be, be, to be able to take in, you know, something and to really say, I've got to know it myself, mm -hmm. um, is really different than this kind of like, I'm acquiring more information, I'm becoming more studious, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, um, I'm getting a grasp of things, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. As as a way to be right and to and to know how to get through this, mm -hmm. um, so you know that kind of it, 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 I. It's sort of like the whole process of people coming into yoga, and wanting to fix their bodies, mm -hmm. right? And so we see in meditation a kind of attitude of, yeah. you know, stamina with the mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the flex, like the flexibility, this uh, you know, as you're talking about community or the compassion part, mm -hmm. probably does need to have relationship mm -hmm. in order to in order to understand that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, the idea of generosity is a little idealistic or philosophical. Mm -hmm. How how do I give? It also includes um, how can I be given to. How, how can I also appreciate when someone's offering me something, mm -hmm. you know? And this yeah. brings up something that I find, you know, really comes up a lot in, in terms of in psychotherapy and particularly in psychotherapy groups, mm -hmm. is that um, people often really do want to be generous mm -hmm. and to, towards others. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, we could say that that's the experience of I want to be liked. Mm -hmm. But there's also a sort of uh, genuine impetus towards, um, you know, wanting to make others comfortable, uh -huh. like we would want to be made comfortable. Right. Yeah. And one of the places that I find that, you know, for a sort of important setting of ground in a, in a therapy group is about the limits of that, understanding where I'm going beyond and you know, taking care of others as mm -hmm. opposed to um, understanding what is what it is they need and what mm -hmm. it is I need. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. So it kind of brings up the thing around limits because it is through our caring of other people that we can learn to care for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But having a clear understanding of what is helpful mm -hmm. and what is really just getting out of something that yeah. I find uneasy. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, on, on retreats, on the first day, we have a list of rules we go through. And one of them is really to trust in the silence together, relationally. So if you see someone who's your roommate who's really crying a lot, 
don't go up to them if you're one of these kind of people and just start hugging them and asking them what's wrong. Like trust in the silence and the practice enough that they need to go through what they need to go through, especially if you're really feeling from them that they want you to come hug them. And let the teacher or some of the other leaders on the retreat take care of working with that student. And for a lot of people, especially Jews and Italians, they really have a hard time seeing somebody uh, go through something without quickly going and wanting to hug them or make them tea or a meal. Mm -hmm. And it can be a really powerful healing process for people whose tendency is to be care tendency is to be a caregiver to see the limits of caregiving like where they don't know how to give somebody space mm -hmm. you know? that's a really po powerful uh, teaching for people yeah and i think mm -hmm. you know i think when you bring up the kind of cultural the, the cultural rules on top of the personal mm -hmm. you know so the cultural norms that say this is how I pay respect, this is how I uh -huh. you know, tend to others and, and yeah. these sorts of things are so strong that they are definitely things that can get in our way. Yeah. They um, need food. Right. Or they wouldn't be crying so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's um I, I think that boundaries are something that ultimately help people to sort out mm -hmm. what is um, what is what is possessiveness mm -hmm. and and what is it to to care for myself mm -hmm. you know what is it what is it that I actually need support on mm -hmm. I think that's at least in my experience in practice is that it's easy to see um, meditation practice yoga practice forms and the boundaries even within psychotherapy a lot mm -hmm. of boundaries mm -hmm. um, to see those boundaries as being another right another uh -huh. culture another set of rules yeah and and in that way we can just apply what was the you know and I, i'm always going to be a good boy i'm always going to be a good girl yeah. and i'm always going to try and fit by those rules but it's different to have them in the place of a practice right where um those boundaries are there to, to be able i i think it's to support somebody to be able to to digest yes what what is my experience? What is it that I need? And where are my limits? Yeah. You know, mm. do I really, you know, it's so that I can be genuine. You know, there's plenty of times where I'm genuinely um, drawn into somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with me, my problem, right? It's my, I'm suffering as much as they are. And there's other times when that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And I may feel pressured from the cultural norm to act in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of guts to not do that. Yeah. So I think the forms in that way support people to just observe these tendencies mm -hmm. um, and to get clearer about what is, what's authentic, what's genuine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in, the, in this course we've uh, talked about how each precept has three levels. The literal level, so an example of that is don't kill. And then the compassionate level, which is how do you actually express the precept in your life? Mm -hmm. There are times where you need to kill, you know, and that's still upholding the precept. Mm -hmm. And then there's the koan level or the mysterious level, which is when you really look at a precept like generosity, it just opens you up. 
to this mm -hmm. moment mm -hmm. and what's actually going mm -hmm. on in this moment. It has nothing to do with rules and vows. Mm -hmm. But actually it also has everything to do with rules and vows or you wouldn't see it that way. So how do you move between these different levels, the, the literal level, the compassionate level, and then the, the mystery level? So, so one thing I really wanted to ask you that, that I think about a lot is, many people say, you know, what's the difference between Western psychology and yoga or Western psychology and Buddhism? And to me in this course, this precepts course, one thing that's very, that's kind of emerging for me is how in Western psychology we don't really talk about ethics other than professional ethics mm. like there's no room in our work with clients to ask them about how greed is showing up in their life or nonviolence or there, there's not really like a scaffolding or a form that we can use to check in with our um, clients about uh, ethical principles Mm. It's interesting because I, I think that where that comes up is kind of more in the symptom, mm. in what's presenting. Mm -hmm. So when a person comes in to, to psychotherapy, they usually have some kind of problem that mm -hmm. they're presenting. Mm -hmm. And especially nowadays, there's kind of this sense that, that therapies should address the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, I think in a similar way, we, we now think that meditation should address the problem, right? right? Yeah. But ultimately, then there's, there's the considerations. What, what kind of world, what kind of mind yeah. is this person living in, and what kinds of mm -hmm. things are they experiencing that such a problem mm -hmm. arises, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, you know, I think one of the things is that as a therapist, as somebody, you know, looking at the problem that is being presented. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we can look to ethics mm -hmm. and see what, inquire as to what is going, mm -hmm. um, what is going unchecked. How? Can you well, describe Well, I mean, one example, one example that's coming to mind is, um, it, it comes from addiction model mm -hmm. and the, um, the stages of change. So the stages of change being one, you know, theoretical model for how somebody moves through addiction towards, um, you know, basically being in a more healthy, balanced mm -hmm. situation. So when somebody's like very, very early stages, it's often referred to as um, pre-contemplation. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, I'm really not thinking that I have so much of a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm just doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. The next stage, contemplation. Mm -hmm. um, one of the one of the ways that that's addressed is really looking at the consequences of actions, right. examining the consequences of actions, mm -hmm. and this is the therapeutic treatment mm -hmm. for a pre-contemplation stage. Is mm -hmm. is is bringing to somebody's awareness. Mm -hmm. What, if any, consequences are there mm -hmm. in your family, in your environment, in your future, mm -hmm. towards your dreams, mm -hmm. you know, with all of these kinds of things. So I think that kind of outlook is already looking at something towards ethics, mm -hmm. but without imposing a particular idea. So without ethics. the literal level, in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that this is very important because, um, you know, therapies need to be responsive to people, individuals' ideas of health. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Because if I, because if if um, if psychology is imposing the idea of health on the individual, then mm-hmm. we then we have a lot we have a lot of problems, right? Because we How, have, health is getting back to work, <laughs> right? What do you mean? Go, by go, that? Going back to your job on Monday, right? I mean that, that that's kind of like you, you see in some schools of psychology, they have an idea of what mental health is, mm-hmm. and it's the person's ability to be working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of limits what's possible in the relationship mm-hmm. because the person may not even have the time with the therapist to, to, to unpack what's going on because the model for both of them is ha- we're here because we're trying to get me working again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ultimately I think it's also about power between the therapist and the client is that if, you know, if I have an ethical kind of stan- standards by mm-hmm. which I you know, am treating you, um, then it's really that I have a certain one-up right. on you. Yeah, so, I know what's right. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, that's where I see the danger. So I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why... I mean, I think that all therapists have a sense of their own ethics, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's actually one of the places where it's very important. I mean, mm-hmm. for me as a therapist, I'm always using myself as a gauge mm-hmm. for what is happening with the client mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you know that's one of the ways in which I can see hmm, what's what do I sense is off here yeah. is often going to be something from my own ethical standards yeah. and if I haven't looked into something myself mm-hmm. chances are I'm not going to be able to help spot it mm-hmm. or even feel it in them Do you ever have the feeling when you're working with somebody who comes in and is really contracted around an idea that that you actually take on their body? Where you actually, you feel the intensity uh, of their uh, situation in your own, in mm-hmm. your own body, where your body becomes like an instrument, mm-hmm. like a tool mm-hmm. that you can kind of gauge what's going on for, for them. Just by what's happening in your own. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, as um, in my in my particular therapy practice, I often because I work a lot of the times I work mm-hmm. somatically, so I t- taking on that person's body mm-hmm. um, gives lots of information mm-hmm. for what is being experienced, mm-hmm. and that's actually one of the ways that I work through what's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. with the client either what's happening what am I doing how yeah. am I responding am I pulling back am I pushing yeah. forward and uh, and what is that experience what, to hold myself like that mm-hmm. um, so that I can tune into what that might feel like for them for them yeah because what you know what this feels like is very different than what what it what it sends out to you, right. you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's certainly very useful to know that that's happening. Yeah. And there are times when it's really I really need to you know leave whatever it is I'm experiencing behind, and often I find lying on the floor is the best remedy for to that. Let, to to just to drop their body out of your body. You mean? Yeah. 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 Because you've taken something on. Taken something on and, 
Yeah, I mean, any form of shavasana seems to be the, the perfect um, remedy in a sense, mm-hmm. because that's where I can come back to the feeling of contact with the floor and mm-hmm. of gravity, mm-hmm. and in a sense, reconnect with mm-hmm. what is going through me now, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to kind of holding on to something, mm-hmm. um, a patterning yeah. that I've witnessed. Mm-hmm. But we're, I mean, we're ultimately, we are impacting each other, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're impacting each other and we are picking up what's around us. Mm-hmm. And I think in the same way, um, it's really important to know that we are putting our, um, our way of being into the room, mm-hmm. wh- wherever we are. Mm-hmm. And that so much of what we're experiencing and feeling is something that is from what's going on around us, mm-hmm. you know, and not mm-hmm. something that's just our own creation. Yeah, yeah. we're and picking this, it up from the culture, from our environment, yeah. and yeah. Yeah, we're we're yeah. we're being a sieve for something mm-hmm. that's going on. You know, we're mm-hmm. um, we're acting as some kind of filter for yeah. the situation, and to see that that's the case is, I think, one of the things that meditation practice and yoga practice can really help us to clarify. Mm-hmm. Both, I, I mean, both meditation and yoga, I think, you know, it's really about coming back to the, our sensate mm-hmm. bodily experience yeah. is one of the places where we can start to see where, um, where we're clinging and where we're um, overdoing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and begin to actually feel what a limitation, like what a limit or a uh-huh. boundary is. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess the last thing I, I wanted to ask you, maybe it's even just a statement, mm-hmm. and then I would just be interested in your response, mm-hmm. which is just that we're living in a time where our, our society and the economic system that we live in is r- really rooted in greed, you know? Mm-hmm. And... I even sometimes see what's happening in the university system as being similar. This kind of like uh, acquisition of knowledge, you know, like another kind of greed where more information. Mm-hmm. And we're, we don't seem to be producing people who are wiser. We're producing experts and specialists. It seems this has something to do with how we, how much greed we feel is acceptable, you know? So I'm interested uh, as somebody who, you know, who I think, you know, we share similar politics, but from the perspective of someone who's working every day with people's psychological ills and symptoms in their body, you know, what do you observe and what do you make of this? That this, that this, the symptoms of our time showing mm. up in people. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing that comes to mind is uh, is anxiety. Hmm. Um, non-resting. Yeah. Non-being. Mm-hmm. Non-beingness, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the busyness that um, this greed and this um, 
of the society and the culture. Yeah. The greed seems to create busyness. Uh-huh. And the busyness doesn't allow people to really feel or, um, I would say, empty out or let go of whatever it is that's just happened. Mm. So, um, so we're not as resilient, I don't mean, know this is the word, we're not as resilient yeah. because we're very, we're so uh, worked up, yeah. we're speedy, and um, we're tight and fearful and anxious. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think ultimately a greedy society create, it comes from a poverty mentality. Right, it, it, it is scarcity. It's born from scarcity. Yeah, yeah. and in a scarce world, mm-hmm. we're not safe. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're not safe, we can't relax, mm-hmm. and we can't actually enjoy what's around us. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is this is one of the things that I think I see is that you know, in we have a lot of resources, sometimes just an inch away from us. Mm-hmm. But when we're in this tightness and contracted kind of scarce mentality, mm-hmm. we don't even we're not even curious yeah. about what's out there. Yeah. We're not even looking because mm. we're not we we don't have uh, that we don't have our back in a sense. We can't mm-hmm. relax and mm-hmm. uh, and receive. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, you know, d- during the Occupy movement. One of the things that really helped me was Naomi Klein said at one point that the solutions to our economic problems are also going to be the same solutions to our social problems and to our Mm. ecological problems. Mm. When you were talking about this kind of age of anxiety, it seems that a kind of economic change and a psychological change both need to happen together. In a way, they can't happen without each other. Right. In a way. Yeah. Um, you can't just tell people to relax when everything <laughs> around them is so driven. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, we need to feel it. We mm-hmm. need to feel. I, yeah, we don't need to relax. Yeah in that relax yeah. we don't need to relax yeah. um, we need to feel what's happening yeah. and respond yeah. uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with doing that in relation and yeah. in connection uh-huh. and kind of fessing up to what we're experiencing yeah. you know because especially in the past it's like, like atonement or something right <laughs> yeah but we have a like lot of, really kind of going on? fake confessing in a way like you know we have this sort of society now where everybody can be depressed and anxious yeah but there's i still don't think that there is a genuine curiosity or responsiveness within what's openly talked about to Mm. these experiences Mm -hmm. i think it's more like oh yeah of course you are you know like right like oh yeah another one yeah um but uh to actually be able to um to share that experience or to reach out in that experience and yeah. and to feel what other people are feeling mm. and be impacted by that because ultimately we we are very impacted by those around mm. us who are struggling yeah 
and to and to see that that that, that, that that's where we need to be is mm-hmm. that where we're hurting from other people's suffering is actually needs to be included yeah. right that in our own healing in our own healing mm-hmm. yeah in, in a yeah. in a societal healing yeah mm-hmm. um, rather than this kind of you know do good work yeah it's the bodhisattva vow <laughs> like yeah. so what that means to really feel someone else's pain as, as your part own. of your own not yeah. as part, just as part of your own but then as part of your own activity and 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 your res- and that you need to respond to it in right. some way. Yeah, and interestingly enough, that attitude also yeah. seems to be the cure mm-hmm. for the suffering of you know that we experience mm-hmm. ourselves and our yeah. pain and our, our trauma. You know, yeah. um, when we're engaged, when our activities are somehow engaged in something larger than yeah. just healing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Then we seem to um, be a, more uplifted yeah. and, and more available and seem to heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that was really, <laughs> really good.